such was the golden summer of Roaring Camp. They were flush times, and the luck was with them. The claims had yielded enormously. The camp was jealous of its privileges and looked suspiciously on strangers. No encouragement was given to immigration, and to make their seclusion more perfect, the land on either side of the mountain wall that surrounded the camp they duly preempted. This, and the reputation for singular proficiency with a revolver, kept the reserve of Roaring Camp inviolate. The expressmen, their only connecting link with the surrounding world, sometimes told wonderful stories of the camp. He would say, They've street up there in Roaring that would lay over any street in Red Dog. They've got vines and flowers and round their houses, and they wash themselves twice a day, but they're mighty rough on strangers, and they worship an Injun baby. With the prosperity of the camp came a desire for further improvement. It was proposed to build a hotel in the following spring, and to invite one or two decent families to reside there for the sake of the luck who might perhaps profit by female companionship. The sacrifice that this concession to the sex cost these men, who were fiercely skeptical in regard to its general virtue and usefulness, can only be accounted for by their affection for Tommy. A few still held out, but the resolve could not be carried into effect for three months, and the minority meekly yielded in the hope that something might turn up to prevent it. And it did. The winter of 1851 will long be remembered in the foothills. The snow lay deep on the Sierras, and every mountain creek became a river, and every river a lake. Each gorge and gulch was transformed into a tumultuous watercourse that descended the hillsides, tearing down giant trees and scattering its drift and debris along the plain. Red Dog had been twice underwater, and Roaring Camp had been forewarned. Water put the gold into them gulches, said Stumpy. It been here once, and will be here again. And that night the North Fork suddenly leapt over its banks and swept up the triangular valley of Roaring Camp. In the confusion of rushing water, crashing trees, and crackling timber, and the darkness which seemed to flow with the water and blot out the fair valley, but little could be done to collect the scattered camp. When the morning broke, the cabin of Stumpy, nearest the river bank, was gone. Higher up the gulch, they found the body of its unlucky owner, but the pride, the hope, the joy, the luck of Roaring Camp had disappeared. They were returning with sad hearts when a shout from the riverbank recalled them. It was a relief boat from down the river. They had picked up, they said, a man and an infant, nearly exhausted, about two miles below. Did anybody know them? And did they belong here? It needed but a glance to show them Kentuck lying there cruelly crushed and bruised, but still holding the luck of Roaring Camp in his arms. As they bent over the strangely assorted pair, 
they saw that the child was cold and pulseless. He is dead, said one. Kentuck opened his eyes. Dead? he repeated feebly. Yes, my man, and you're dying too. A smile lit the eyes of the expiring Kentuck. Dying, he repeated. He's taken me with him. Tell the boys I've got the luck with me now. And the strong man clinging to the frail babe, as the drowning man is said to cling to a straw, drifted away into the shadowy river that flows forever to the unknown sea. The end.